Today's scripture reading comes from Psalms 28, verses 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not refuse to hear me. For if you are silent to me, I shall be like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication as I cry to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who are workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while mischief is in their hearts. O holy God, when we cry out to you, and all we hear is silence, The pain of that, the invisibility of that is overwhelming to us. And so we join with the psalmist this day, O oh God, as we cry out to you, hear me. We might even say, see me. But if your response to us is silence, O oh Holy One. Help us to trust. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is Rembrandt's version of Jacob wrestling the angel. Perhaps you remember Jacob was quite a rascal in the book of Genesis. So this is these epic stories of the beginning of the family that was the seedling for our faith. Jacob's story begins in Genesis 25. He was born the youngest of a set of twins, and he spent his whole life wrangling the birthright away from his older brother Esau. It's quite an interesting story because his mother actually encouraged him to do it. His mother was the one who planted the idea in his head that while his older brother Esau was out hunting food for the family, he should put on the, the skins so that his arm would feel like his brother's arms and he should go into his father's chamber because he knew that his father was about to die and lie to his dad about who he was so his dad would give him the blessing instead of Esau. This is in the Bible, friends. It's quite an amazing story and so... Jacob has to run away, run, run, far away. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran. He ran from his brother first, and then his father-in-law, and even from his wives when they couldn't stop fighting over him. It is a great story in the book of Genesis. But he reaches this point where the road dead ends. Have you ever had that experience in life? You know, you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, and there's just nothing more to try anymore. And so he ends up in the dark, falling asleep all by himself, head on a rock, and an angel comes to wrestle the last bit of fight out of him. It's interesting to me the way Rembrandt interprets not Jacob so much, but the angel. Because the way the story of Genesis tells it, it's not friendly. They're wrestling all night long. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go. Does that look like he's not going to let the angel go? <laughs> I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so finally the angel hits his hip socket so hard that he limps for the rest of his life. And out of that comes a blessing. He receives a new name. And the name is Israel. 
Have you ever experienced that moment when the holy presence doesn't feel friendly to you? You've been wrestling with God all night long. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You have to. And then God reaches out and, and wounds you. Gives you a limp for the rest of your life. That, that's the kind of presence that Jacob is experiencing. Sometimes that moment, friends, is known as the dark night of the soul. Barbara Brown Taylor is one of my favorites. And her take on Jacob says it best, I think. She says, who would stick around to wrestle a dark angel all night long if there were any chance of escape? The only answer I can think of is this. Someone in deep need of a blessing. Someone willing to limp forever for the blessing that follows the wound. So that's really what today's sermon is about. Can you find the blessing that follows the wound? The Psalms are the best place to go when we're learning to walk in the dark. They expose the cry of our pain when we're caught in those moments that we might define as the dark night of the soul. The psalmist in Psalm 28 captures this cry for us. Did you hear it? He says, to you, O Lord, I call. Right? I'm, I'm crying out to you. Do not refuse to hear me, for if you are silent to me, I shall be like those who go down to the pit. Friends, the pit was that place that you could not be restored from, you could not be called back from. And so he's saying, oh God, if you're silent to me, I shall be like those who go down to the pit. So it should make no, no surprise, should give us no surprise that the next sentence then is his supplication where he says, hear me, oh God. Hear the voice of my supplication as I cry to you for help. As I lift up my hand towards your most holy sanctuary. This is often the, the position of praise, right? When we reach up our hands so that we can be more available to the holy. But the psalmist in this particular passage, it's almost a, a cry for hope. God, hear me. Hear me. So that as I lift up my hand toward your most holy sanctuary, I could feel something, anything, even if it is a wound. That's what it's like walking in the dark. When you've come to that place where there are no more excuses all hope is gone, no answers to be found, no way forward. You can't even see the next step. Do you know that place? You don't have to raise your hand. Friends, the masters of our faith throughout the millennia, you know, our Christian tradition is very long and deep and rich. It's not just the last 50 years. We've been doing this Christianity thing for a long, long time now. 2,000 years and throughout the millennia, we have these beautiful teachers to us of the faith, and they will tell us that this place, the place of deepest darkness, is where we learn some of the most important lessons our faith has to teach us. Now, notice they don't say we have to like it. We don't, and we don't like it. However, it is in those places that we do learn some of the most important lessons our faith has to teach us, Today we're going to learn from, from another master. Each week I've been uh, lifting up a master of the faith. This is St. John of the Cross. 
He was, lived from 1542 to 1591, and his most famous literary work is a poem that was entitled The Dark Night of the Soul. And, and many people have read this poem. It narrates the journey of the soul to mystical union with God, which is what St. John, uh, all of his teachings were about, how it is that we establish union with the divine, oneness, unity, where God and the person are one together. The journey is called the dark night in part because darkness represents that the destination, which is God, is unknowable. Now, hang with me because that's supposed to bring you assurance and peace, okay? And so that's why St. John is, is this master of contrast and contradiction. He, he is so good at the both and instead of either or. I'm an either or person. Are there any other either or persons out there? You like it to be either black or white, right? Tell me the difference and I'll respect it. But not St. John of the Cross. He's a both and person. Did you know that it can be both. And so in his writings, you're going to find a lot of contrast, light, uh, contrasting light and dark, contrasting nothing and everything, and, and that all of this is held together in this unity of the divine oneness. I want to give a shout out here too, again, Wyatt Smith, our associate youth director, because he has done a lot of study of the mystics in our faith, both ancient and contemporary. Um, those who, who are able to understand the mystery of God, but not up here, not intellectually, not, not cognitively, but to understand the mysteries of our faith more in their soul, in their, or sometimes in the Hebrew word, it would be kind of like right in here, in your gut. And so when we were preparing this sermon series, Pastor Heather and I, we, we asked Wyatt, help us understand what mystics you would lift up as those who could teach us in our faith today. And so he lifted up St. John of the Cross, and he gave us this particular quote from St. John, which I thought was beautiful. I want to share it with you today. Love consists not in feeling great things, but in having great detachment. Do you feel the contrast? Let me share that with you again. Love consists not in feeling great things, but in having great detachment. And we're going to talk specifically what he means about detachment, but just feel the contrast for a moment. Love consists not in feeling great things, but in having great detachment and in suffering for the beloved. The soul that is attached to anything, however much good there may be in it, will not arrive at the liberty of divine union. For whether it be a strong wire rope or a slender and delicate thread that holds the bird, it matters not if it really holds it fast. For until the cord be broken, he says, the bird cannot fly. So, so see this image again that he's giving to you, the bird. It matters not, friends, whether the bird is held by a strong wire rope or a slender and delicate thread. It doesn't matter. Because until the cord is broken, the bird cannot fly. The bird cannot be free. That's his image of, of detachment. Love consists not in feeling great things, but in having great detachment. This idea of detachment is key to the spiritual life, according to St. John. But in order to understand attachment as he's talking about it, we must first acknowledge our drift toward attachment. Does anybody have a drift towards attachment? 
because that is the human nature, we will always find something to attach to. And even when it's a really, really, really good thing, if we are holding tightly to it, or if it supplants who God is and is God calling and who God is calling us to be, then it is an attachment. That's what St. John would say. Friends, with no conscious effort on our part, we will always attach to the things of this world. These attachments will distract us, even prevent us from union with the divine. So can you see why that was so important for St. John of the Cross that we learn to detach? My, my prayer posture and, and learning in this is we have to hold loosely. We have to have open hands. So whatever God chooses to give us, we hold it loosely. We are detached from it. Because the moment the cord, whether it be a strong wire rope or a slender delicate thread, any time that that begins to hold on to us, then we cannot be free to be who God is calling us to be. So that's the idea of detachment. It's, it's a goal of the spiritual life. And he goes on to say, St. John does that, it, it involves self-denial. Now, how many of us look forward to self-denial? Anyone? I don't. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and go, boy, I sure hope that I get to sacrifice today. I hope I have to deny myself something I really want. But it is in that discipline of learning to deny ourselves. And he would even go so far as to say killing the ego. The part of ourselves that is convinced we're right. And I know you all have it. You're human beings and you're breathing, right? You've got an ego. And he says that part of us, us our ego that convinces us that we're right that it is all about us, that has to die. And this is who he looks to as the ultimate example of that. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because Jesus, when he was living here on earth, really gave that, that example of self-denial, sacrifice, killing of the ego in such a beautiful, beautiful way of holding loosely. Not attaching to the things of this world, but being willing even to the point of death, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, even to the point of death, being willing to give it all up. For St. John of the cross, Jesus self-sacrificed both on the cross and during his life through good works and charity and non-attachment to the world is the example for achieving full unity with God. And that's why St. John in his writing says, this is where we need to be, friends. We need to be in this place where we hold it all loosely. If we really want to discover the union with God that Jesus discovered, we must be willing to sacrifice all that we are attached to, whether by a strong wire rope or a slender, delicate thread. It doesn't matter how strong the attachment is, friends, for until the cord be broken... The bird cannot fly. So this is the question that Pastor Heather and I were playing with this week in this particular sermon. Could it be that the dark night of our soul is the proving ground for detachment? Could it be that those moments of coming to the dead end, where there are no more excuses, there is no more hope, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but you know that it's probably 
not good? Could that be the place where you finally learn about detachment? It was for Jacob, for sure. Jacob became a very different person. He had spent his whole life being a rascal, stealing, conniving, being deceitful. And he ran and he ran and he ran and he ran until he couldn't run anymore. And in that one night when he wrestled with the angel, he became a different person. It was his proving ground where he finally had to let go and let God. So, it was for Jacob, I have experienced it to be so in my own life, that the dark night of the soul can be that proving ground. As we seek a deeper communion with God, friends, we often find it in the dark. It is the place where detachment becomes a necessity so that our soul attachment to God finally feels right. We're less driven by the other attachments that we often will allow to direct or drive our bus, if you want to speak of it that way. I want to share with you some final words of poetry from St. John. This is where he's exploring this gift of detachment. To reach satisfaction in all, desire its possession in nothing. To come to the knowledge of all, desire the knowledge of nothing. To come to possess all, Desire the possession of nothing. To arrive at being all. Desire to be nothing. Does that feel mystical to you? It does to me. I mean, I read it over and over and over again, and every once in a while I have a vision uh, on one of the, the lines or the f- refrains, and I think, okay, uh, yeah. And then it's sort of fleeting, and I have to go back to it again and and really spend time with it because he's telling us something very significant here is that what what we're finally after we won't find until we let it go learning to be able to walk in the dark that's key as we seek sanctification and way back in the first sermon of this series a few weeks ago I asked you this question. I said, does it ever feel to you like there's just got to be more to this life of faith than what you're experiencing? And, you know, I would draw that uh, to our attention again because I think sometimes we, we wrestle with that. But what I said to you in that first sermon is there is. There is more to this life of faith than you are currently experiencing, and it's called sanctification. And it is, the, the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, said it is that which God promises us. That we can go on to perfection, which doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that we have fully become the person God has created us to be. That we have lived into how we were created so fully that we are one with God in our personality, in our relationships, in our ambitions, in our desires, everything is, is how God would have it to be, then, John Wesley says, we are perfected in love and we are sanctified. What I would say to us this morning, friends, is we will not get to sanctification without walking in the dark. 
I, I wish I could tell you that you can, because I know what you all and I feel as well as I don't like the dark. What that feels like in my faith when I can't see where to put my foot, one foot in front of the other. I don't like that. That's hard. But it is the place where we learn about where God is perfecting us. Over and over again, the masters teach us this. In fact, what they say is that we move closer to sanctification when we are in the dark than we do when we are in the light. So this week, here is the challenge that Pastor Heather and I would extend to you. Get curious about the dark. Get curious about it. Instead of running away from it, instead of being scared of it, get curious about it. Perhaps you've had a period of darkness in your life. Go back to that experience and ask yourself, how did that reveal, and this is what I'd like for, to leave us with today, how did that reveal the necessity of faith? How did that period of time or that experience or that silence, how did that reveal to me the necessity of faith? Perhaps you're in a season of darkness right now. And if you are, I don't wish that for you. And we will pray together that God lifts it. But if you're there anyway, let's go ahead and see. How are you learning about detachment? How are you learning to let go, to hold loosely? Because this is the place. If you're in a season of darkness, this is the place where God teaches us that best. Today, what I'm hoping for all of us is that we will be able to find the blessing that follows the wound. That just like Jacob, that wrestling the angel, which very well could have been the end of his life, was really just the beginning. And that even if we have to walk with a limp, it will be a sign of God's faithfulness to us in teaching us to live a life of blessing. Amen.